this book is good. It's a hard read. It really is. We can't look away from the failures of the church if we want to be able to continue to love on people. Jesus didn't look away from the failures of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. and He loved on them to the point where they dragged them out and executed them. So I'm just going to keep loving on the church as best as I can, and I can't look away from where we failed. Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where we discuss life together, looking for answers to life, the universe, and, well, everything else. Here are your hosts, Rob and Lindsay. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, I made you say hi first. (laughs) Power play. It's all about the power for you, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Great (laughs) intro to our uh, discussion this morning there. (laughs) Jeez. So, um, this is going to be an interesting discussion. Yes. Because it's, yes, it... it's book club time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I chose the book. You did. I did. You did. What was I your did. last pick? Wasn't it Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? That was such uh, a safe book. Such a fun and whimsical <laughs> and lighthearted and, yeah. yeah. I don't That's know good. what happened. No, I do know what happened, but yeah. So, um, up front with with the listeners, uh, this is not going to be one of those conversations that is, yay, happy, fluffy, and fun. It's, uh, it's going to go a little dark at some points. And uh, we're going to be talking about some hard stuff. This is probably also going to be a two-part episode. Because there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I, I do recommend reading this book before you listen to us jabber on about it. Because we are going to misspeak. We're going to mis Accidentally, it's just going to happen. Misrepresent some really interesting ideas. And because that's just what happens. Um, so I would really love for our listeners to read this book for yourself. Don't be afraid. Go read it. And um, and then listen to us uh, pontificate about it. Because um, I think that's how you're going to get the most out of this book and take something away from from our discussion. So, but yes, spoilers. If you haven't read it, you're going to hear us butcher some really good material. Uh, I'm just kidding, not Butcher. It's just, there's so much information here that it's almost like it's overwhelming to try to fit this into two hours of conversation, even just the, what to, what to talk about, what to, what to kind of skip around is, um, whew, it's, this is a good one. So read the book. Read the book. It, it's, it is a hard book to read. You and I had a phone call midweek because of, of reading this book, just you know, how's everybody doing? How insane have we gone? How yeah. insane was I for picking this book? You were you were basically crying. <laughs> I, I, I'm just kidding. He wasn't crying. <laughs> I'd like to refute that, but I was. Yeah, yeah. I. This is a hard book. It really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, we're, we're kind of beating around the edge of, of the topic, but it, it deals with failures of the church. And anytime the church, anytime the church fails and fails people, it cuts incredibly deep into the psyche, into the spirit, into the heart. And that's, that's what this book is filled with. You know, when I was in seminary, one of the courses I did was a leadership course. And the professor who taught this, I told you a little bit about this, Lindsay. He, uh, he's a consultant who goes in and he helps some of these churches who are dealing with a crisis situation, a failure of leadership. And it ranges from, well, financial issues where someone's taken money from the church to sexual assaults and that course. I remember the two days we had in person for that course. I came home and I was a train wreck from that. I mean, that was a sit down, open a bottle of scotch night. And that's what this book is, is it's, it is the train wrecks, the car accidents, the horrific sides of failure of the church. And it's not what I want the church to be, but I think it is of value. And we as the church should look at these moments. We should own them and then find ways to bring the grace of Christ to the failures of leadership, to the failures of men and women in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, part of the pain is we grow up thinking that the church is a safe place for most of us. I think for most of us, for me, and that the people that talk that you look up to are telling you the truth and have the best interests of the church in mind and that they uphold a standard of gospel and Maybe that's where things kind of start to go wrong anyway, is the Bible is a really big book with a lot of different ideas. And I think it's easy to take certain parts of even Jesus and wield them however, to, your, to the aid of power. And that, yeah, Jesus, in the Revelation, it says he's coming as a warrior and he's going to, like, have his robe dipped in blood and have a tattoo and be scary. And uh, it seems like that's pe people just sort of take what they want from the gospel and never mind the Old Testament, which is still sort of problematic for me. Um, but I think it's when we conflate um christianity and politics nobody wins it's it's really ugly yeah it's really ugly yeah with us kind of getting those disclaimers to a degree out there because there's again it's a lot to unpack in this book and, and up front we're not going to go into and try and refute any of the things that oh my goodness i'm forgetting the author's name uh Kristen Koba's Dumez? Forgive me if I'm butchering that. Any of the things that she's put in this book, she has done her research. The notes are in the back, so if you do read this, where she's gotten her resources from are there. 
you know, as best as we can with some of the situations Lindsay and I know, we'll, we'll give, we'll say what resources that we've experienced with it, but there's a lot to unpack. We're not in a position to go through and refute all of that. We're, we're discussing kind of how we feel, what this looks like for church moving forward from our, and, and I think this is, there's always a question that is felt with a book like this. What can I do? Right. A struggle, a loss of, of power, it feels like. And even if you're someone who is truly more conservative or more liberal and, and you're fighting some of what's in this book because you agree, disagree, it, we, that's fine. But I think the important thing is that as we look at that question of what can I do, it's to understand, I'm going to use a butchered Doctor Who quote, but an ordinary person is the most extraordinary person because it's us, the ordinary people, who make a difference in the world. So sitting with that question, yeah, you might only be able to help affect and hold accountable the leadership of those around you or be accountable to those that you lead. But that simple action in and of itself, the care of a single or a, a group of people, doesn't matter how many, that is an extraordinary thing first and foremost. And it's in those little actions is how we solve the grand problems of this world first. <laughs> There's a clip that was going around. It's two or three weeks old now, but it's... It is an evangelical church down in Virginia somewhere. I think it's Virginia. Uh, and the preacher stood up and said how he's tired of, you know, the phrase, love your neighbor. And it's that that is the failures, I think, that starts with what is Jesus and John Wayne, which is the book. Because there's almost this underpinning. And Lindsay, jump in and... and Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's almost this underpinning of, uh, you know, Jesus told us, love your neighbors, and the best way to do that is, I will control them. Yeah. I think there's this kind of bad um, simile, uh, I guess, of, you know, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And... Um, you know, his people are his sheep. And he even said that he appoints, he appoints other shepherds. Does, doesn't it say that? But I, but I think the joke that I've been hearing my entire Christian life is that sheep are stupid. And which sort of like, so we're stupid. People are stupid. And um, in order to protect the sheep, which are stupid, the shepherds have to wield authority and power to keep us safe. I'm thinking of um, communism, which is or, uh, a great deal of this book deals with the, the Cold War and um, some different different presidents and different uh, believe, uh, evangelical leaders perceptions on communism and why they were so terrified of it and feared it so much. And a lot of what they did was to keep power, but I but this idea of we're too stupid to take care of ourselves. And that's what leadership is supposed to do is take care of the stupid sheep, which is kind of the feeling I, I get when you hear people in leadership 
making claims like that. Yeah, and there's no denying that being in ministry, and I'm speaking from a personal perspective, there's no denying that being in ministry, there's a degree of of power that you have that is innate trust. And I've spoken about this. I call it the holy man principle where people look and, oh, you're in ministry? And they they have this entire painting of what your life must be like and how you are righteous and above everyone. Which is something that just, it drives me nuts because it's, no, I still... Yeah. I still sin. I still have broken, flawed moments. But there's this automatic level of trust that is assumed. And it's out of that automatic level of trust that is also an elevation to power, to influence, to being in a position to, well, if you really wanted to be that guy or that woman, you could manipulate people. And, you know, Jesus and John Wayne goes back almost a hundred years to mm-hmm. maybe, well, yeah, it's about a hundred years, about a hundred years of evangelical movements in America. And she starts showing kind of where that snowball starts. And it, it I, I think that's a good analogy of saying it, it's a snowball that we as the church have to deal with. That's turned into a full avalanche where a hundred years ago we started seeking to spread the gospel but we traded in some of the tools of the gospel for tools of power and influence and over a hundred years we're just one more tool of power and influence against one more tool of the gospel you know yeah and and i think that's what this book is trying to address up front where look there are areas we've failed i don't think this book is trying to say the church is useless the church is done we should be done with it and move away from it uh, and, and even as someone who, uh, you know, is a moderate conservative or conservative moderate, whatever I am, I, I don't find this book looking and trying to say that the church is done, but I find it trying to say, here are the car accidents, the train wrecks, the horrific pieces of our history as a church led by man that we have to own, otherwise we are going to be we're going to be a detriment to the church we're going to be people who you know Jesus looks at and says yeah you might have known my name you might have used my name but i don't know you mm. because when you sit down with Matthew 5 I should have probably had this open already but when you sit down with Matthew 5 with the sermon on the mount with what Jesus is espousing as the the kingdom of heaven in his time, in his moment, and you can see how he extrapolates everything out from Matthew 5 in his mission and ministry on earth in the Beatitudes. And, you know, are we doing that as a church? Hmm. And I don't think that's an answer to ask globally. I think that's an answer to, again, pull back and go to your local church and ask at your local church. Because when we ask globally, oh, we're going to get the train wrecks. We're going to get the, the horror stories. Yeah. So, uh, and and for clarity, 
Read Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. Those are the Beatitudes. Those are, that's Jesus laying out the foundation of the kingdom of heaven right there. And from all of that, he just, he turns it on his, turns the whole process of what Judaism and Christianity are on their head. And if we can't see what the foundation is and we just build build differently around it, it's going to get weird. Yeah. I don't know if this is the right spot to say this, but um, I think something this book did really well was took things that I've always assumed was true or have always heard to be true and um, showed you where they came from. Like, like this is the way Christianity's been for the last 50, 60 years, but guess what? It's not as old as the gospel. Like how... Um, this was one of the older things in the book, like 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 you said, about a hundred years ago, Christianity was seen as this very Victorian sort of meek religion. And help me with the details, but basically evangelical leaders tried to infuse Christianity with a sense of masculinity um, and toughness. And, and that's where people like Billy Graham came in, who was this tough, tough looking handsome dude and i just think it's interesting all i'm saying is it's sort of it all has an origin like things that we thought were just a given like that tough you know forgotten country attitude is not um something that the puritans felt you know it's not it's a new idea it's it's like within the last hundred years so i I just think that's really interesting and something that i got out of the book was examining faith as as i've always experienced it so as hard as it is to look at and you're you're right where historically the church again there are cycles there's a cyclic nature to it where you go back a couple hundred years to the crusade era and the church had this very warrior movement excuse me it, it was very warrior centered we must go and free, we must go and fight, we must go and do. And some of that was just, historically looking, the excuses of the empires where the church was to expand, to gain control, to gain power, to gain influence, and have more resources. Yep, that doesn't work. It does not work in the big picture for the church. Yeah, and it's interesting because at that time... Just like now, you had this idea of the kingdom of God being geopolitical. Yeah. Um, and instead of a spiritual thing where that's like here now in my heart, you know, like, right? It's not geopolitical. It's not Fitchburg, whatever, or Pittsburgh or Lewiston. It's, it's a spiritual entity. It's not taking the church, the kingdom of God from, you know, Spain or wherever the Crusaders lived to, you know, Jerusalem. And yay, now the kingdom is expanded because it's this geopolitical thing. And the idea that America is a Christian nation is trying to do that same thing of making America this geopolitical kingdom of God or this capital C city on a hill that I don't think was ever meant to be geopolitical. No. Until Jesus comes back. (laughs) And even then, I don't think it's going to be geopolitical, but we can discuss that in another time. 
And, and I think there's a there is a rebuke in Scripture for even things that the Christian Church has done in that that desire to gain geopolitical influence, because effectively what has happened is we desire to we desire to create legislation to bring our morality to the forefront and out of that legislation it's fixing the surface and hoping that well we fixed the surface so maybe it'll sink to the heart level mm -hmm. would you say that's a fair assessment i think so i guess i need an example but what well, um okay well the like like making everybody uh dress a certain way and act a certain way will fix all the sexual predations going on in the church <laughs> <laughs> right and that you know we we have this uh we have this desire to fix and build what we see as the flaws in you and when we fix and build those flaws you know it, dress in a more modest way if you're a woman um be more masculine and authoritative if you're a man uh and, and i'm kind of giving caricatures of this and these things will begin to fix the problems, and out of that will will flow an alignment with the spirit, and ta-da, you're super Christian. And it's, no, no. And even in Jesus' time, there is there are the miracles that fix the surface, but there's always an immediate addressing of the heart problem. You know, that, that original mm -hmm. sin that is there, that permeates every piece of who we are and as christians too often we've been like okay we'll, we'll fix the the outside but not the inside and anyway i i was sharing this because again scripture matthew 23 and uh 25 matthew 23 verse 25 woe to you experts in the law you pharisee hypocrites you clean the outside of the cup and the dish but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence blind pharisees first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may may become clean too i, I love the church i will continue to work and serve the church but in a lot of ways there have been a lot of moments where i've i've met with ministers other churches people and there's a part of me that is hard-pressed to not look at the church and be like, yeah, we're the Pharisees. If Jesus came back to us today, you know, one of the big things in, in Jesus and John Wayne is the masculinity, the warrior Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that really feels like if Jesus came back to us today, yeah, I think it would be warrior Jesus, but I don't think it would be the way you want him to be, expect him to be. And that you would be blind to who he is. Hmm. And I think that's that's a part of what this book is trying to get us to see is I think we're blind to Jesus. And I'm not saying this in, oh no, Jesus is this meek guy. If you if you will, forgive me for a moment of the analogy. Have you ever seen a movie where there's a bar fight and you've got like the the big burly biker dudes who you know muscles on muscles and they're tough guys mm -hmm. and they're rowdy and loud but then you have this like one guy sitting off in the corner who's not you know big and muscly he's quiet 
and the bar mm-hmm. fight breaks out and everyone's trying to get that one quiet guy in the corner who turns out to be like a secret agent and just bust everybody's skull in. Have you seen movies mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I just rewatched uh oh what's the movie? Oh, The Kingsman, uh Secret Service, the one with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the bar fights that. in that. There's a bar fight mm-hmm. in it where you're like, oh, you know, this guy's all dressed in a fine suit and he looks nice and he's not going to win in a fight. And then he destroys all the tough guys. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the, the image we got to remember of Jesus is he's not going to be someone we expect. He doesn't come as burly biker dude. Although I have met some amazing, like hardcore better christians who are those burly biker dudes with zz top beards i've got some Mm -hmm. mad respect for those guys because their faith is rooted in i was messed up i was broken i was half dead on the side of the road and jesus yeah but and again that's what this book is is unpacking is these toxic things we've built in these perceptions that that the church has used for power Mm-hmm. Can can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. And, and this is a question for everyone. Let me rephrase. I'm going to ask a question. Do or don't answer it. I get it. I'll answer it from my perspective, what started it for me. To you, our listeners, feel free to answer it as well. Feel free to, if you want to talk, you need to talk, reach out. Our emails and our social media stuff is in there. I, I'll talk to anyone. That That's who I am. I talk to anyone. You know, if you want to come on, we can talk as well. But you can talk to Rob. I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> okay. Okay, All right. Go on. For, Carry on. For context, hang on, hang on. For context, someone kind of said that to me once, and it was a little like accusatory. Like, do you really need to talk to anyone? And it's, yeah, Jesus is for anyone. Deal with it. Mm that that's hi this is how i try to live my life jesus is for anyone i'll talk to you mm-hmm. which has had me sitting on a bench with someone who's a little high on something i don't know what to teens and kids to elderly to I, i'll talk to anyone you know it doesn't matter mm-hmm. so anyway anyway the question my question for everyone and, and Lindsay, don't feel like you have to answer it i'll answer it from from my experiences um but kind of what was that moment where the blinders came off to the church is just it's filled with crap there are Hmm. crap people there are broken people And, and i'll let you think about that but um one of the first moments that i did that was as a young adult or saw that was as a young adult before that young adult ministry and uh I I was in South Carolina for a year and the blinders started coming off to the politics of what happens in the church to the expectation of almost wielding scripture as a morality weapon to get the results that you want. (laughs) And I was already dealing with a lot of anger as a youth at that point and that just that started consuming my faith burning through through that faith faster and and, you know when we first met in in that young adult program i i was on the road to being an agnostic at best and 
there's some more things there that burnt up more of that. But what I found in that process, because that faith, my faith has grown and been restored in a new way. But what I found in that process is that it was a refining period where the dross had to burn off. And what came out of that is the perceptions, not perceptions, the reality check for me that there is a difference between the church here on earth and the church that God has established that is immortal and led by him. And the church here on earth is just a, a vague shadow in a mirror, and we're doing our best to show Jesus' love. Hmm. And again, that's a lot of what this book is laying out, are hard moments like this where the faith has, has burnt off. You know, and, and again, looking at the history of it, here's the foundations that we've set for this giant bonfire that if we don't address is going to consume what is this section of the church. The church will go on, but will this part of the church go on with it? Hmm. And I, the only, again, the only way that I see that happening is looking at and addressing these issues. And we've been talking really broadly. We've not like zoomed in on any of the, the cultural issues we've seen. That's because I'm book. afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, which, which wound do we want to poke first? But I think for me, as far as the question about the blinders, is this gradual sense of injustice of because I was born a woman and I don't happen to have a penis, uh, I can't just go decide to uh, be a psychologist. I mean, this is as I was growing up in the church when I was young, but it needs to be like brought before the elders and they need to discuss, you know, and because it's a humanistic, you know, psychology is bad and um, blah, blah, blah. But just little little things like that or, you know, so-and-so hearing that so-and-so doesn't like it when this lady talks in front of people because women aren't supposed to speak in church and he's from that church. And I don't know, I could, I could go on, but, uh, well, no, I think you found the wound we poke at first, if you're okay with it. Yeah. 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 Uh, that is an address or an issue that continues at, at multiple churches. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in the Episcopalian church, so a little more formal in our liturgy and our structure. Not a little. Okay. Episcopalians are very formal. We're Catholic light. Communion every Sunday. We had a praise team as an Episcopalian church, and we were the only one in the, the diocese that had that at the time. Mm -hmm. So we were a little more liberal. Well, there was one of the deacons of the church, and the deacons in the Episcopalian church is part of the leadership. She had been going to seminary for years. And was ordained, God ordained. Mm -hmm. And this was a huge thing in my church. I, I only remember it from the outside as a kid, and even my parents talking about it a bit. And my parents, my memory of that perception was, so, does she have a calling in her life from God? Great, who cares? But the church had yeah. an issue with that. Fast forward I don't know, however many decades later, and, and I serve for a female pastor in a PCUSA church. And I have to say, she she is the best pastor I have ever served for. Mm -hmm. I've served for several male pastors in 
however many years. She's the best pastor I've ever served for. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it, uh, female pastors didn't go over well uh, at all, at all, at all. It was like an issue. Yeah. And uh, growing up. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for me, it's do you have a calling from God? Great. What's the problem? Mm-hmm. I haven't had the best way to express that because some of the language that the church uses, like John Piper's a big name who comes into the book a couple different times. And he's problematic in a couple different ways. You sent me a video. The, that video itself is referenced, that interview where he's talking about should a, a wife submit to an abusive pa- or uh, not pastor, an abusive husband. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see he's kind of trying to hedge around that question. He's trying not to to answer it and and it's problematic. <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. 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 Cuz he So one of the things he says in that is, you know, if you are being abused, submit to the church and go through the processes with the church to try and redeem your marriage. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. If if you're listening, if you're out there and you're dealing with domestic abuse, uh, there's this wonderful hotline, 1-800-799-7233. Again, 1-800-799-7233. That's the National yeah. Domestic Abuse Hotline. Call them. Get the help you need. And if the marriage can be redeemed... It doesn't have to be redeemed through the church solely. There are programs. There are means of help to make sure you are safe first. Safe first. Not let's save the marriage and make it look good. No, safe first. Let's pre- So, oh, yeah. So th- this is where the power play comes in. And uh, over and over and over again, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of sexual assault cases, rape cases, um, in in marriages and in the church are not reported initially because the church doesn't want that reflecting badly on their church, that it would somehow tarnish the message of Christ and things are tried to be reconciled, not for the woman's benefit, but so that that church isn't, the reputation isn't tarnished. Which I I can't I can't think of a, a more despicable, I mean I can I can think of plenty of more despicable things, but it's just revolting that the the thought that Jesus needs our help defending the gospel is is kind of silly. I mean, Jesus can take care of himself, and if God is in control, like people seem to think, then it's gonna be okay. You know, so I just think that's so sad. And yeah, that's all. And going back to that, I mean, the the things with marriage, with sexuality, these are things that the church tries to control because of, well, how intimate they are in our life. I mean, okay, we've talked a bit about this, but how many times does an advertiser use sex to sell? Yeah. So then we as the church, we want to say that sex is good but good in the confines of marriage and only if you do it our way. So it's that that idea of, Oh, Christians have better 
who said that? Was it Mark Driscoll or someone who was like, Christians have Probably. sex? Probably. And, yep. And, you know, <laughs> hey, uh, hold on. There are still broken people who are Christians who are not having great sex. Guess what? But if yeah. you do these things, look at this. If you do this thing and this thing and you, you institute these things of control and submit to the church in this way, it will all work out. By the way, give us your money. Mm-hmm. No. No. And again, those are issues that the, it, the book addresses later on in the last couple chapters of, uh, you know, the, the, the dynamics of sex and power and control, which are kind of those three big cores. And yeah the the, yeah. the dichotomy between if dichotomy is the right word between men and women growing up in church is i was taught that i needed to protect the men in my life from having lustful thoughts by covering myself and if if i was responsible for how for their reaction it's a concept of control again because we're and boys will be boys right, right. Because what? We get a free pass for... Mm-hmm. If if the church wants to say that you as a female have so much control to make a man go astray, that we need to control you, isn't that a little contradictory? Mm-hmm. 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 Because if we're controlling you, aren't we then allowing, well, the power of that control to lead us astray, which happens in the church? Again, it, there, there are churches that this, the Jesus and John Wayne lays out that that's the power dynamic that's formed. And the silly contradiction, too, of we're supposed to be these meek lambs before marriage and pure and have high necklines and wear, you know, not tight pants and all that stuff be virginal. But as soon as we're married, we are open for business and we need to our job is to take care of our husband and make sure he doesn't go anywhere else and that's our responsibility if he's having an affair what are you doing wrong because you're supposed to be there for your husband so that whole contradiction is another thing addressed in the book a couple times and it addresses uh, it addresses some hard moments of that that the church has done this weird thing of trying to pin garbage moments Failures of leadership on a husband and the church on a woman who, what, didn't sleep with her husband every time any way? I'm sorry. Life, marriage, does not work that way. Mm -hmm. And, And again, these are, we're addressing the tip of the iceberg on this one because... There's a whole underlying set of things that happened before, because this is happening later in the book, this discussion on the failures of the church with sex abuse scandals that have, have plagued it. And, and I Throughout. mean, yeah, and, and it's not just the Catholic church and the scandals they've gone through. I mean, there have been, there was a, like a good five year stretch where it felt like at least once a month. Some mega church was whoopsies. Somebody did something very inappropriate, appropriate with a congregation member, a staffing member, a, mm-hmm. a kid in the youth programs, uh, a me- and it was just come on. Mm-hmm. Do you? And it's it's not even. Do you guys not see what you preach and practice that? 
purity, 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 until I show up as the holy man. Hey, how you doing? And I, and I've and I've read that pastors these high high name pastors will say, "I'm a man of God, and I deserve you to do this sexual act because of the calling of God in my life." And honestly, it's I. Ravi Zacharias. That's exactly who I'm thinking of. Because that's that's what he did. That's what he said. Now this book came out after everything with with Ravi. And did it after? Sorry, before before. Yeah. Time frame. Yeah, because that would definitely be in there. <laughs> yeah, it came out before everything came out with Ravi, and I mean he's someone I I've met him. I got a chance to talk with him and. I liked him, and then all of this came out, and it was just ah shit. Mm-hmm. Because you you can't walk back from that. I mean, grace and and Jesus's love apply, but he he died. All of that stuff came out, and it was just okay. No, no, gotta be gotta be done. Okay, can I tell you? Ask you something that confuses me a little bit. Remember what we were talking about last week, last time about the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm facing, there's this contradiction where, on the one hand, I hear some teachings that it doesn't matter what somebody's gifting is, um, they can be, they, they are, their private lives are not connected to how God's using them. Yes. I've heard, I've heard this from the pulpit and I kind of agreed at the time because, because it, it explained this it explained that, that how, how can you have someone who is as wise and rational and um, seemingly gentle and compassionate as Ravi Zechariah um, also tell, uh, tell women that if they told anybody what he was doing or didn't comply with what he was asking them to do, millions of people would lose their salvation and doubt their salvation. And did they want that on their heads? No. So... If it's the fruit of the spirit, or if it's the gift of God, how can those that fruit grow and be generated in such abominably unregenerated soil? Because anything you you can hear anything from any pastor and call to question everything about them that they're lying. So how can they be saying lies? And being used by God, I, I just, how can that be possible? And what does that mean for somebody like, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. It, it really is, because it's, at the end of the day, God's grace is there. Now, God's grace doesn't mean that these people who have failed... So, all right, we talked a little bit about, well, hang on, hang on. We've talked a little bit about this kind of, I gave you a podcast recommendation, but one of the examples is Mark Driscoll, who his collapse with Mars Hill out in uh, Washington state is documented pretty well through media. There's a podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill by Christianity Today. I recommend listening to it. I've listened to it. At the end of the day, Mark Driscoll is very problematic and should not be in ministry. 
That that's my stance. He should be in the church. He should be being ministered to. Because God's grace is for everyone. You know, love your neighbor as yourself, and love love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also love your enemy. So, you know, those three things put us in a very uncomfortable position of God's love is for everyone. Doesn't matter who, it's for everyone. We don't get to determine who. We don't get to say, oh no, you are too far gone. Now, I'm saying that as the foundation of when we encounter failures like this. Ravi Zacharias, who there's nothing we can do. He passed. All of the scandal stuff came out. But someone like Mark Driscoll, someone like uh, Josh McDonald? Is that McDonald? I, I don't remember. Out in Chicago. Familiar. Yeah. It, but the, these people who fail the church who fail in leadership, their fruit failed, but that does not mean that Jesus loves them any less. They have to be brought back in, brought to a point of discipleship, not leadership, brought to a point of walking in humility, not walking on the stage. And how that looks, I don't know, because it hasn't happened. That's not what we do. That's not what we've done. Um... It doesn't quite answer well, it. I, you know, well, I guess, how, what do you mean their fruit failed? Because the only reason we, like with Mark Driscoll, I think people were apologizing for him being a bunghole for a long time before anybody actually came out and said, actually, what he's doing isn't funny. It's wrong. And it's not okay to use anatomically correct language so prolifically in a sermon. <laughs> uh so, like, okay, in that example, Mark Driscoll is almost a bad example because he was screwy already, but he sort of had this celebrity thing that people apologized for. Or actually, you know what? It's exactly what this, the Christian, what's your face said with the masculinity thing where there's something really attractive about a masculine bludgeon of a personality that made us apologize for his behavior that, well, he's this example. Go, go ahead, I, I guess, whatever. There, there's nothing wrong with being forceful and drawing a line in the sand. There isn't. You know, again, I've been in youth ministry for years, and there's only been like one instance in the years of youth ministry where I have yelled, truly yelled at the top of my lungs in anger and drawn a forceful line in the sand with a student. So it has a role, it has a place, and that relationship with that student is, is perfectly fine now because it was, look, it, here's the line, you are jumping across it, you have to understand that this is not okay. So, yeah, something like that has a time and a place, but it's not always up front all the time. And it's not just for one specific gender role or another. It's we, we have to draw lines in the sand. We have to say, look, there are the moments where we, we say no enough. But, and right, that's, but speaking, that's speaking to his personality and saying, yes, it has a time and a place. Mark Driscoll, always on, was not the time and a place. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is um, the fruit of Mark Driscoll was to be that toxic and that drew people in because there was a lot of, of that toxic that still is there that we want to we want to be that. We want to be that tough guy who says, nope, enough, I'm going to do this kind of thing. 
Yeah. And that that was the fruit he drew in, which surface, okay, it's not bad. It's a bit of an ugly fruit, but it's not bad. So from there, does the gospel get preached? Does that go to the hard issue of things, to the rot that's beyond the surface of of the issue? Or does that continue to fester? And that's part of where I think the failures of leadership are, is we, we look at these surface fruits. We look at the metrics of, oh, he's got a million followers. Oh, he's got thousands in his church on Sunday. Yeah. He's got But, but I mean, of, like... We're not looking at what are the true fruits of the Spirit. We're looking at numbers and metrics. Products. Social, right. You know, but and, but and I mean, again, like, so... But could you say if, okay, so he's, like I said, he's a bad example because he would say really nasty things in public and, um, which should have been a red flag for people. And I think it was, but what about somebody like Ravi Zachariah that all his quote fruit was good? All right, let's let's go back. Let's even go back past Ravi. Let's go to, I don't like what I'm going to do here, but let's go to Billy Graham. Kind of that evangelist of evangelists what people hope to be and when we look at billy graham and and the book this is where the history section of the book really kind of lays out great foundations and and doesn't go into billy graham as problematic in the later section right it's billy graham is problematic because he started trying not trying he started working to connect Christianity yeah. and power. Political power. Church and power. Church, and it's always been there in the subtext to some degree within churches, but church and Americanisms. Nationalism, really. Right? Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, that's not bad, but it's, is your faith national? Or is Christian your faith... Christian nationalism. <laughs> or is your faith personal because if my faith is dependent on who's president how does that work for the past 30 years i'm a philandering warmongering uh flip-flop liar yeah hypocrite um and, and but take it back to the fruit thing with Billy Graham. Like, I want I want answers about this fruit thing because it's concerning. <laughs> so, uh, well, I know, I know. And this is this is that part where it's hard to have this discussion in fully and why we said we might need to do this in two hours. I, the fruit thing with Billy Graham is, he, I think it's probably fair to say that he probably had some very decent fruit. And when we say fruit, what do we mean? Let's define Fruit is the heart change, not surface change, the heart change. Well, how can we see that? I'm, we can't. I'm, I'm not, but I don't know. No, I don't think so, Rob, because like we said, fruit is for other people. Remember that right. we talked about we, that last yeah, week? Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> oh, one of these days we actually need to video record our podcast as well, just so we can get the facial reactions and interaction. <laughs> Because you do this, yeah. like, arms crossed, flailing, gah, you're... Raspberries. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do. That's, that's hilarious. But anyway, so, like, with Billy Graham, 
the fruit are there's no denying the fruit that we have to wrestle with is the amount and the quantity that he produced because you had Billy Graham who would show up and do the conferences and fill stadiums early Billy Graham. So, okay. Quantity is an issue we have to address up front. People came and responded. Yeah. The that's question, fruit. Is that what you're saying? No, but that's, that's an issue you have to address. Okay. He had a quantity. He had a number. He brought results is what you're saying. He did. It doesn't mean those results were good. It does not mean that those results were always bearing fruit. But he threw seeds everywhere. And, you know, there's the parable of, of the seeds again in Matthew. I'm just going to keep referring to Matthew today. You know, you, you throw ske- seeds, you scatter it everywhere. There's some that falls on rocky soil. There's some that falls on shallow soil, good soil. I, I can't remember all the soil types off the top of my head. He just threw seeds everywhere. And what's stuck, stuck. Okay, so that's that's not bad. That's not a bad thing to have. But where it gets problematic with the fruit he bears is he went, hey, I'm going to go and not only throw seed everywhere, I'm going to go to the rocky soil and I'm going to intentionally plant here. And not just like plant the gospel, but I'm going to try and plant some of my influence and power here. Some of my ability to, to go and do this. So he set himself up. Yeah, he he had a good foundational ministry. He had influence and power, but it it tied itself to politics in a way that put it into a position where Franklin Graham? Franklin Graham is problematic. Mm -hmm. It it became the, the gospel. Oh, no. Ah, the cl- Christian clout, evangelical clout, became a tool, not a message, a tool. So you have presidents saying, ooh, ooh, hmm, hmm, there's a big evangelical base here, which, holy cannoli, I mean, it was like 70 or 80% of the evangelical population voted for Reagan. And it's just, it's not about the gospel anymore. It's not about Jesus. It's not about who he is or... The, or people not burning alive forever. It's not about that. It's about political clout and telling other people and controlling other people and saying, you know what? You and you can't get married because you're both girls or you're both boys. And it's, um, and that, that's not moral. It's just, well, it's, it's power is what it is. Ooh. Uh, so I'm. All right. All right. All right, to- all right. Deep breath, deep breath. So let's, this is the centerpiece of Billy Graham's fruit. This is where the rot in what he did is because he tied things to politics, to presidents, to power. And that's like, right. And that's like torpedo, torpedoing the ship and saying, it's all good. Have you seen the documentary or read the book, the family it's referred to in the book by Jeff. Sharat or something. I <laughs> I did. And and that's a huge uh, yeah. Creepy Crawly. Creepy cool. Crawly. Yeah, that one I uh, ah. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Yeah. That no. Go watch it. Or go read it. 
Ugh. You have to know. We have to. We have to. If you're a Christian and you want to have a better understanding of who you are and who you are supporting, you have to know this stuff. You have to look under the floorboards and see the ugliness. Here are your deliveries. Oh. One delivery will Shush. arrive today. One delivery she interrupted last tomorrow. week too, but I oh edited it out. <laughs> bad, so rude. Bad robot. I'm sorry, but we're talking about... So we were originally... I don't know if you want to take it back, but originally talking about fruit and what fruit is and how come we see bad... We see good fruit, but it's actually the product of vileness. So therefore, doesn't that contradict what the Bible says about how we produce fruit and how he will know us? How will people know that we're disciples? By, by, by Supposedly by our love for one another. So anyway, I don't know. That's just confusing to me. I, I, it calls to question the ability, the gifts and abilities that we supposedly are supposed to want. Because what makes them so special if somebody like Ravi Zachariah can have those supposed gifts and be a bucket of poop? Now, uh, I will say this. There's always redemption, okay? Because when we look at David, King David of Old Testament... Here's a man who screwed up, slept with a woman, killed her husband, hid the pregnancy, but he's still said to be a man after God's heart. And, he repented. And, it, and that's the key. And he suffered the rest of his life. He, he, he paid for it the rest of his life. And, and that's part of that key where it's, I think, if, if we look at the church and we say that these people are of value, part of that of value has to be that when any of us fail there's repentance if there's no repentance there's no fruit repentance is a piece of the fruit that we want to produce and it has to be manifest in us ah, you, you want to fight but ravi me? didn't yeah because ravi, ravi didn't, didn't repent he did he it. died and, and i know and that's why it's it's problematic because it's ugh. What do you do and with so this? many people out there, you know, like I am, I would never accuse anyone, but you know, there are people out there who are preaching in their pulpits and there's just something I, I, I know some creepy crawly pastors and I couldn't exactly put my finger on it, but something about the way they do things, where they plaster their face in their church, the way they address the congregation Okay, I'm sure there are tons of people out there that just haven't been caught yet, and they may never get caught. But how do you explain the fruit? If they have fruit in their lives, where the heck is that fruit coming from? Where is it coming from? Because if if God waited for the perfect sinless man to be born, then we would be useless. Okay, but but wait, but what I'm talking about is I, and I know is, I know is yucky yucky. And is and and uh and that means I don't know I that's disgusting. Is that is is he the only person that God can use? And um no, but God what is uses, and what is that? God uses broken people. And here's the other side. You we have to acknowledge that there are probably people out there, again, who are preaching the gospel. Who are you know? Here's the main lane of the gospel. We're sticking in that main lane, but my life isn't in that. So they're not. Liter All right, I'll give a great example, kind of. <laughs> Melinda wanted a uh, a candle lighter, 
because we have a couple like glass candle jars in the house and uh shush sorry i was getting a phone call uh so she wanted a candle lighter so i found one and bought it and it's the kind that you can you know it's got the bendy neck but it's one of those neat little electric kind that zaps you know what i'm talking about i think so Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah okay so instead of a flame it's an electric arc between two prongs that's ooh, that's kind of oh, cool. okay right? yeah yeah so we got it and i said okay kids don't don't play with this you could electrocute yourself kids are like okay great five minutes later i'm like huh zap and i zap myself intentionally yeah did i practice what i preached right and then my daughter's watching watching me as i do this and it's like daddy what's wrong with you I don't know, brain damage. Okay. But, but, but the thing that's, is... Well, hang on, hang on. You gotta let me finish the analogy. You gotta let me land the plane. Okay. okay. All right. So in that, and this is where it's tough, is that we have people who are, are preaching this. And it looks like all the fruit is good, but the fruit in their life is crap. And we had that in the Gospels as well, where there were people who were like, preaching Jesus. But their lives are garbage. Uh, acts and... Oh my goodness, I'd have to look it up. But they were so, preaching the wrong thing. That's what Paul were. was commenting on. He was saying that uh, they were preaching some fishy um, Gnostic stuff, I think. Right, which which is a part of why John wrote his gospel in a countering to the Gnosticism. And that's that's part of what we have forgotten to fight. If you're preaching something that sounds like Jesus, looks like Jesus, but ain't Jesus, well, we don't fight you on that. Because maybe you're getting more numbers. Maybe that's the way to preach because you have a million followers. And, and again, this is part of that where it's problematic. It's part of that, well, the fruit looks good, but it, it's not, not not, good. So how can we call it? So, uh, and then, and I don't know. Then there's the thing with James, right? Doesn't James say that you can't have, I don't know. I don't get it. At the end of the day. I won't use Ravi Zacharias stuff anymore. I didn't use it heavily before. I like some of his logical arguments, but there are logical arguments that anyone can draw out of Christianity. Someone can interact with and engage with scripture, and it never goes past the surface level of who they are. You can make arguments for Jesus, you can make logical fallacies and logical sounds principles and morality out of scripture but never engage with it past the heart level to allow a change that is actually legitimate it only looks it only sounds and it only feels that way and that is that is quite possibly one of the areas where we have lost ourselves because and we can't we trust anyone apparently nobody not a single person but again <laughs> Oh, what does Jesus say to the um, to the disciples? Be as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And uh, oh, look, it's a Matthew again. Matthew ten sixteen. Oh my goodness, I am stuck in the book of Matthew recently. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shrewdness that we are to have that we don't have. In questioning our teachers. And there is a there's a politic to the church that is to say, if you question a teacher, preacher, pastor, 
you are wrong. Again, holy man principle. These are the people who God has chosen. Da 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 da. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And I'm I'm going to read this. Matthew ten 16. I'm sending you like sheep surrounded by wolves, so be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. Be aware of people because they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them, to the Gentiles. Okay. But the way Christianity is and has been for a long time is that we've we've separated the people from pastors. That's the big thing, pastors, I guess, and teachers maybe. But most no, most people that have a teaching gifting become pastors. So you don't, you know. But when you send, like, do you, if you had a lawyer, if you hired a lawyer to do something for you, would you... um question would you call them to account on something i mean chances are you don't have the knowledge and you wouldn't expect that you have the knowledge to refute something you that you say you just implicitly trust them unless somebody else another lawyer said uh actually that's not correct so my, my point is when we send there's this expectation that all pastors have to go to tr- school they have to get a degree they have to get a master's degree they have to do all this fancy stuff so um and in society, when you become, when you go do that, you become an expert, essentially, based on what the laymen are supposed to know, which is nothing because we're stupid sheep. We're, we're not supposed to question, you know? Plus, when you go to a show, when you go uh, and see a performance, you're not supposed to call out to the person performing. You're just supposed to sit there and listen and then go home and then do your world. So the way Christianity is set up right now, you're not supposed to be circumspect. You're not supposed to be skeptical. You're just supposed to listen to whatever the pastor says. And if you don't like what they say, you can go somewhere else. So I think the whole system needs to be uh, <clears throat> and, and you're right. Recycled. <laughs> now, I would say it's not just Christians, but yes, this is at, uh, one of those core problems because it's you know, oh no, I have been questioned as a pastor. You don't believe. You're wrong. You're a heretic. Sorry, what? How do we go from a question to heresy? Um, funny, briefest story that kind of em- emphasizes what you were saying. When we had, had Ray as a baby, you know, brand new baby, parenting manuals suck. They, they really don't tell you what to do. They just mm-hmm. give you some broad things and, you know, good luck. May, may the odds be ever in your favor. And don't raise a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Melinda and I are figuring all of this out. And we have one of those first pediatrician appointments. And it's the one where we have to make the decision with the first round of vaccines for, for Ray. I almost got punched in the face. <laughs> oh so we had the appointment the nurse who is getting everything set before the doctor comes in uh is saying okay well here's here's kind of what's going to happen here's what we're checking today here's what we want to make sure of and here are the vaccines that we recommend you give him now i ask questions mm-hmm. and i went okay well why do we need to give him these vaccines this time frame why is this important help me understand what's going on and and what these vaccines do and what we can expect going out of this. 
she pulled back, like bristled and kind of did the whole, oh, you know, how dare you question. Mm. And Melinda was even observing this and it was like, I, you know, the nurse leaves after speaking to us for a moment. But she was like, I think you pissed her off. <laughs> and, and she made the assumption of me that I was an anti-vaxxer, but I wanted to understand what was going on before, you know, you're going to stick needles in my kids. I want to know what's going on. I want to know why this is important and what's what's happening long term. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of been that way where it, if it's appropriate, if I don't understand, I do want to try and ask. I want to learn. I, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And that might be part of what has happened is we've lost that curiosity, which I think is great. Why when Jesus gives us the comparison of, OK, be like children. Paraphrasing, but, you know. Be as a child coming into faith. Be curious. Ask questions. Don't just take what is being told at face value. And I think when we do that, again, that's where that, going back to the fruit side of things, I think that's where things become more valuable is we can ask questions and grow in faith on a personal level and not have, and, and again, that holy man principle of, oh, pastor, yay, training. No, ask me questions. This is why I love working with you. They ask me questions. They ask me questions that are uncomfortable because they don't have that same stigma and fear, and I don't want to instill that in them. I want them to ask questions. Hmm. And if I ever leave youth ministry, that's going to be the biggest thing I miss is that ability to be curious so, all right, I think we're at an hour and 15. I think we need to to land here. And one more okay. discussion, or do you think we're good? I want to talk about Iran-Contra. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we need to talk more about some of the history. I, I really want to talk about that. Yeah. We don't have to. We can talk. No. We can talk about this later and edit this out. But I, I found it really interesting because I didn't know anything about it. So, no, I th- I think we need to talk about that history again about the the influence and power because the the reactionary stuff what we have focused on it has its roots in that that power structure being built and we didn't really talk about that. Mm-hmm. We, we've reacted, which I think needed to happen, but now I think it's fair for us to be able to go back one more and let's talk about the history, the foundation. There's a lot to deal with. This book is good. It's a hard read. It really is. We can't look away from the failures of the church if we want to be able to continue to love on people. Jesus didn't look away from the failures of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he loved on them to the point where they dragged them out and executed them. So I'm just going to keep loving on the church as best as I can, and I can't look away from where we failed. I think that's your cold open right there, by the way. Right here at the end? Just, yeah. <laughs> I like that summation. Because I I want people to listen to this, but I know so many people. I I know most of the people. I, most of the people I know won't even listen because they don't like the title of the book. And I think having a, an opening statement like that will help encourage people to listen. I'll put it up front. <laughs> but 
Lindsay, thank you. Thank you for talking with and walking through this with me. I knew this would be an interesting read. I did not expect it to be this interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and thank you. I appreciate this. Now, with that said, I think we should end on a positive note. Oh, Let me rephrase okay. that. Uh, yeah, we need to end on a positive note, but I also want to say this. Uh, if you are, I don't think we have any listeners from Ukraine, but we do have a couple from the Baltic region. Uh, we're, we're praying for you guys out there in the Ukraine and... It's a crap situation. I want to talk about it, but we're, we're praying. We're mm. our hearts are with you. So, anyway, all right. Positive note. Did you make a decision on book? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's read. Um. The things they carried by Tim something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The and, things and they carried. What's the uh, the summary? It's about um, these soldiers in Vietnam. Yeah. And it's fiction. And I was... Um, Tim O'Brien? Tim O'Brien. That's it. It's liter- it, like from a literary perspective, it's really good. I've heard. I've heard really good things about it. And this man was in Vietnam. He was there. So he has a little bit of authority. And it just seems really interesting. It seems like a really interesting book. Okay. It's not. I don't think it's meant to be political. I don't think it's even meant to be historical. I think it's like a real close look, zoomed in look on these men. So I think it'll be interesting. Okay. Well, I think it'll be a... Uh, I don't know how to phrase this. Um, Less existential? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably the good way to phrase it. Less existential than my choice in books. So, yes. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Golly. Well, thank you again, Lindsay. And Thanks. to ev- everyone out there who has gone through this this much of the podcast, who's still hanging on with us, you know, understand I have a love of the church. I have a love of the people in it, the people out of it, and for Christ. And the reason I wanted to read this book is because we can't look away. We can't hide our head in the sand from some of the worst we have to be able to embrace our fallen nature if we want to embrace christ yep well said thank you Lindsay. thank you rob later all right later thank you for listening to the 42 podcast please take a moment to like and subscribe And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.